This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, which is a little more upbeat uh, this week after a good Everton win at the weekend. I'm your host Adam Jones today, joined by Dave Prentice and Sam Carroll as we discuss Everton's 1-0 victory over Brighton at Goodison Park. Uh, Preno, we'll start with you. A little bit of a flat atmosphere at Goodison, <laughs> to say the least, wasn't that's it? That's an understatement. It was always going to be like that, to be yeah. honest, wasn't it? I think um, the fallout from Sunday, uh, the previous Sunday, rumbled on. And uh, I was quite interested, actually, hearing the uh, names being read out before the game, wondering what kind of reception the players would get. And uh, it, it was muted, I think, is the uh, the most polite way of describing it. And I understand that, you know, that the hurt runs deep after what happened at Anfield. And so they turned up, it was a full house, uh, but they were basically saying, right, impress us, you know, so show us what you can do. And started OK, you know, so it, it was a decent enough performance. And uh, as the players grew into it, so did the crowd. Until Fabian Delph came on, <laughs> and then, uh, but no, there was um, it was it was it was a quiet atmosphere, and it was always going to be like that, to be honest. And I understand it, but it was very very important that Everton got the results to try and you're never going to erase what happened at Anfield, you know that'll stay in the memory banks forever. Uh, but just to try and you know sort of put a little bit of distance between us and get three very very important points. And there were a number of things that the crowd could enjoy during the game. You know there were some decent performances, a, a great goal. Uh, that was probably the high point of the game in terms of crowd noise, to be honest. But I get why it was quiet. You know, I expect it to be different. Is it a week on Tuesday when we play Newcastle at home? I think it'll be different then. And then obviously at West Ham at the weekend, you know, against uh, David Moyes, one of his teams. Um, I think it'll be a little bit better again. But it'll you take. Want, you want the coaching time. staff for Moyes? <laughs> I know, yeah. No, no, no. Every, everyone will have seen you on match of the day. Yeah. Give, he, give them all your I tips. I was a bit disappointed, actually. He sat next to me and uh, we had a good chat during the first half about various issues. But then he went missing at half time. Went and sat somewhere else. <laughs> so whether he was like, either, you know, thought he'd like got everything he could out of me or whether I was just boring him, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he headed off for a different season. I think he was trying to make uh, an early exit and like sort of dart out mm. and uh, where we were sat it would have been more difficult for him to do that <laughs> whatever else good. you sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> but it was good it was good to uh, good to see him back at Goodison uh, all admittedly in a very very quiet atmosphere mm. oh, when he, on the atmosphere Sam it's, it's quite hard to disagree with Preno isn't it you know it was always going to be a bit of a flat sort of subdued atmosphere but you know as Preno mentioned three points was all that mattered really wasn't it yeah I think there was a few kind of People saying before the game weren't it about you know play play Gordon play Gibson play Beningamy play the under 11s, um, <laughs> but you know it was an important game for for where we was on the table. Do you know what I mean? And certainly with the standard of the Premier League this season, which apart from not even Man City and Liverpool anymore, is it? it's just Liverpool. No one else has really been uh, very consistent this season. So there's still a chance that if you put together a string of three, four wins from our position at the moment, then you can be knocking on the door of fifth and sixth, as crazy as that is to say. So it was a, it was a massive game, do you know what I mean? It wasn't still... It uh, wasn't quite the, the, the perfect performance overall, I don't think, but, you know, it, it got the win. Three wins out of four for Ancelotti now and hopefully, you know, goes a little way to kind of paying back the the supporters for, for the embarrassment of of the week before. So hopefully now we can... Put a little bit of a, a bit of a run together, but there's there's definitely signs there, and and it was an important game. Can we just nail a rumor as well? Uh, I got a few texts and messages on uh, Saturday night oh, about uh, another possibility of uh, that Liverpool could clinch the league title at Goodison Park. 
what's a nonsense, they can't. Um, you know, I, I, the prospect worried me so much. I actually looked at the, uh, the fixtures remaining. And uh, I think it's March the 14th. It'll be changed for television probably to the following day, maybe. But there are still eight Premier League fixtures after that, which is 24 points to play for. Their lead is only 15, 16 points at the moment. So they can't clinch it at Goodison Park, regardless of what um, happens. Unless, you know, unless, unless City implodes unless spectacularly. Drop with even yeah. more points. But oh, don't, 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 don't talk like that. <laughs> well, yeah. all, all I'm saying is, no, it, it is, it is look, possible. It's looking it? fine, Fettle on Sunday. Uh, oh. yeah, they're, they're not going to drop many points, I think. You know, mm. so between now and the end of the season. So uh, then again, you know, so the prospect of that happening, maybe that is what Everton would need to motivate them mm. and do. You know, what we did all those years ago when Wayne Clark stopped them breaking Leeds' record back in 1988. You've got to cling on to these historical uh, things at the moment where derbies are concerned. Mm. But at the moment, no. They can't clinch it at Goodison, so don't worry about that. <laughs> well, another thing you wanted to get off your chest, VAR. Oh, now, God. of course, we started yeah. we started this game with another yeah. pretty interesting VAR incident. You know, Theo Walcott played in behind, I think, inside the first five minutes of the yeah. game. Uh, looked to be tug on, tugged on the shoulder yeah. by Lewis Dunk. Uh, quite admirably, I think, stayed on yeah. his feet. Uh, was obviously unbalanced when he had his shot, and uh, it was saved by Matt Ryan. No penalty given, went mm. to VAR, no penalty given. What's your thoughts, Brian? Uh, my thoughts are that the, the VAR bottled it on this occasion uh, because it was so early in the game and he thought that Michael Oliver was the guy who was referee I rate and I rate it as one of the better ones in the Premier League despite uh, missing that handball at Millwall last season which got Everton knocked out of the FA Cup. Uh, but I generally think he's one of the better referees out there. So, you know, we saw what happened and like you say, admirable of Theo Walcott to stay on his feet. Uh, but clearly was impeded, was clearly knocked off balance. He was falling as he got his shot off. Um, you know, he, his, his balance was completely, you know, sort of disorientated by Lewis Dunk's, you know, deliberate pullback. So as soon as it goes to the VAR, you're expecting a penalty. You're thinking, well, yeah, you know, I can't think of any other decision that they're going to give. And it really wound me up like the little smirk on David Coote's face, as if to say, told you I was right all along. <laughs> you weren't, you were wrong. He was clearly impeded. And, you know, it wasn't just me saying that. Lots of other, you know, sort of pundits, including Danny Murphy on Match of the Day, uh, Chris Kamara the following day on Sky Sports, Talk Sport the following day, every... New, you know, medium I've listened to, you know, thought that the referee got it wrong. And to me, all I can think of, I mean, you you actually emailed the, the Premier League, didn't you, and said, mm. look, can you give us an explanation? Fair play to them, they did. And their explanation was that uh, Michael Oliver didn't feel there was sufficient contact. What a nonsense, you know, so clearly there was contact enough to impede him from getting his shot off properly. And I just genuinely think that he thought, well, OK, if I give this as a penalty... You're going to have to send Lewis Dunkoff because it's denying a goal-scoring opportunity and it's five minutes into the game. I just genuinely think that all went through the head and, you know, it had to be an absolute assault for them to decide that it was a, not going to be a penalty. If that had happened, you know, sort of 10 yards outside the penalty area, it's a free kick absolutely nailed on. So that really, really wound me up. I mean, they talk about refereeing decisions evening themselves out over the season and that includes VAR decisions and the not. You know, so we've had a fair number now. I think, Tottenham at home was possibly the only one that went in our favour when you know the penalty possibly against was it Son. Son was it yeah. wasn't given and even that was like fairly grey area. But the one down at Brighton, you know, was cost us the game and the Premier League subsequently admitted they made a mistake in that one. It was incorrect call. It was an incorrect call on Saturday as well. Uh, fortunately, it didn't matter because you know we came back and won the game ultimately anyway. But VAR just drives me to distraction. You know, you sound like a bit of a dinosaur complaining about it because uh, I understand why it was introduced and you know so video technology we called for 
where it's not being employed correctly. Yeah. So you've got one guy on the pitch who's making a subjective decision, and you've got another guy elsewhere making a subjective decision. And in that case, on Saturday, they both got it wrong, mm. I think. Well, I mean, you weren't there on Saturday, Sam, but you were there for the reverse fixture in Brighton when, obviously, we had that one keen on Armstrong, was it? Uh, that penalty was given, like... What do you what do you do to solve this sort of? It seems that every week, almost every single game, we're having these sort of VAR problems. It's all it's all anybody seems to be talking about at the minute. Like, how do you how do you solve it? I don't know. So just sack it off now, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that way myself. Yeah, I hate it. It does. It's I think ruining the my enjoyment of the one, game. If, if you can get yeah. that down to a thing where it's definitely hundred percent right, then whether we like it or not, a fingertip. Is offside, isn't it? Mm. I, I'm not really that bothered. They've got, that. No, they've got to change that. There's got to be daylight. Maybe or, change the yeah, rule yeah. so it's more clear. But I just think yeah. the other one is we, we've had this sport now for hundreds of years, and and we we didn't need it, and yeah. and it came in, and I just think, you know, and like I even felt, I think the ultimate example for me this season is is when I watched the replay of that West Ham equaliser, Sheffield United, and like the scenes behind the goal, and you had Moyes yeah. run down the touchline. It's just it's just killing footy, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's, this is no. At the end of the day, I think it's still a spectator sport and, and what to get, I don't know, it's just so hard because I know then you could say, well, maybe it was a right decision, but you're just going from a subjective decision on the pitch to a subjective decision with a few more cameras to, to kind of inform your decision. But some of these decisions like that Everton one at Brighton, like that West Ham one, such a grey area, it's so tight that I don't even think the people making the decisions are probably 100% on what the right and wrong answer is. And it doesn't seem like the Premier League are, are going to get rid of it fully, but I just think it, it is just absolutely ruining matches. And you don't realise how many, probably if you went back now in time, how many crucial goals down the years have probably started with a man offside, like yeah. the one we've seen at Liverpool the other day, or had an handball earlier on in the, in the build-up that would have just changed the course of football history. And it's, it's just wrong, isn't it? I just think, play the game, offsides, let's make them clear. You know, we have the technology to deal with that. We've got goal line technology, you know, anything that you can kind of define and, and, and dot the T's and cross cross the... Or, or dot the T... Dot the T's, Dot the I's yeah, and cross yeah. the... <laughs> we know what you're trying to say. Whatever. <laughs> on, on, then that, that's fine. But for these decisions, I just think it's, it's absolutely well, ruined. They're the, the taking so long to actually decide now. And the, the big problem is as well, you don't know when a decision has gone to VAR yeah. or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the one shortly after the World Cup on a handball uh, where a shot, you know, was in, into somebody's body. Yeah. And I still don't know whether it hit his hand or not. It hit his chest. And you don't know if it was going to be looked at by VAR or not. Now, I think the way to overcome that is do what we've been calling for for a long time. For the referee on the pitch to go over and look at a pitch side monitor if he thinks there's been a clear and obvious problem. And, you know, I know you're going to get players like, you know, telling him to go and look at things frequently, but it's up to him to have the strength of characters to decide when he does and when he doesn't. Uh, that wasn't happening because we're told it took too long. But we're taking, I mean, Obama Yang at the weekend, it took two and a half minutes to decide he was yeah. going to, like, break that fellow's leg. And, you know, so surely you can look at that quicker than that. And if you can't, fine, let the referee go and look at the pitch side monitor and take a couple of minutes. And at least people in the stadium then know what's happening. So, you know, I'm sat there on Saturday thinking, are we are looking at that or not? You know, mm. I don't know. Because, you know, you're waiting for the screen to go on in the corner and sometimes it doesn't. At least if the referee stops play and goes and looks at a pitch side monitor, you know what's happening. And that's like a, a small step in the right direction. But the whole system is just, I don't like to use foul language, but it's bollocks, utter bollocks. <laughs> and it's really, really, you know, sort of frustrating and definitely spoiling the enjoyment. You know, celebrations are being... Yeah interrupted now people are starting to celebrate and thinking whoa hang on has it been given or not and mm. that's just it's spoiling people's enjoyment of the game mm-hmm. horrible well thankfully it didn't spoil the results of the game this weekend and that's thanks in no small part to Richarlison who was the difference again 
scored the winning goal. Sam, how good is he? Yeah, I think he's he's Everton's talisman now, isn't he? I think I said that a few a few months back. I think it was actually after that Brighton away game and, and the performance he put in. You know, he can play up front, he plays on the right, he plays on the left and, and still pretty much every week looks like Everton's best player and I think people forget how young he is and people forget the pressure he was under when Everton paid such a big fee for a player who didn't score in the second half of, of his first season in England, you know, after Marco Silva got sacked and, and once again this season he, he's dealt with the pressure of, you know, his, his kind of mentor who brought him to, to the Premier League being being sacked again and, he, and he's responded well to it but I, I just think that I just think he's so he, he's massively underrated Richarlison I think there was some unfair criticism of him early in the season for kind of going down too easily but you know he is still a young lad and he's, he's from Brazil and, and at the end of the day I still think whatever you say about him going down he's still a tough lad he takes the knocks and he, he keeps going he keeps wanting the ball he keeps wanting to take people on he's brave he's showing now that he's scoring goals consistently and you know, that goal against Brighton, what a goal that is. Great goal, great if, goal, if, yeah. if, if, if another player in the Premier League, in your in your Man City's or your Liverpool's had scored that, then people would have been shading that far and wide. I just think it's it's such a good goal. It reminds me of of the one against Wolves on his debut last season where he just makes stuff like that look so easy. You know, that that's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to have that close control and then the kind of clarity of mind to just kind of kill it kind of so, so coolly into that bottom corner. I think Everton... And Carlo Ancelotti have, have got to build our team, our, our new team, hopefully around Richarlison because, you know, he's, he's looking to me like he could genuinely be a 15, 20 goal a season Premier League striker. And, and at the same time, so is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So the two of them, I think, have, have really shown and, and, you know, credit to, to Duncan Ferguson for kind of initiating it in the first place. But to put them two together, I think they kind of play off each other quite well. I think, you know, they both have the, the kind of individual strengths and weaknesses um, that that work quite well with each other, um, and it's kind of showing now, isn't it? That maybe, uh, you know, I, I don't know why Silva never really tried that towards the the back end of his reign. You know, let's get someone else up there with Calvert Lewin or, or Richarlison and, and and try and kind of put a bit more pressure on people because you know that Richarlison he just runs all day, doesn't he? He must be when he comes off the pitch, just must be absolutely knackered. And you know, my only fear is if he carries on playing the way he is until the end of the season, then there, there would be certainly question marks around teams probably wanting to sign him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's our most important outfield player at the moment, uh, you know, so quite comfortably. But a team that doesn't create that many chances or score that many goals, and he's now joint top scorer with Calvert-Lewin. And he scores goals out of out of nothing, really. Yeah. You know, he's very good at getting on the end of crosses and, you know, finding space and arriving late in the box. But the variety of goals he scores uh, is really impressive. And that was basically constructed out of very little. You know, saw that go at the weekend. Okay, it was a decent ball in uh, from Dean, I think it was. But, you know, just to create the space and yeah. to, you know, sort of get past the defender and bend it in. Absolutely top quality. And yeah, he's he's not getting much of a profile at the moment, which I'm quite pleased about because uh, you don't want, you know, sort of other clubs in Europe to be, you know, sort of covering him because uh, he is so, so important to Everson. I mean, obviously, as Ancelotti's reign progresses, he will bring in different players and he'll presumably add to uh, our striking options, which will, you know, take a little bit of the pressure off Richarlison. But at the moment, he's carrying that burden, you know, sort of goal scoring, him and Calvert-Lewin, pretty much single-handed. And uh, he's, he's rising to that challenge. Yeah, I like him a lot. I mean, I echo entirely what you say about uh, his toughness. Um, he's not going to grind anywhere near as often as he used to. To be fair, I mean that was a criticism that was that was warranted, and uh, it happened a little bit at the weekend. He was down, 
the near touchline there for a little while. Uh, but, you know, it's happening less and less during games. And, you know, he clearly was injured, you know, or, you know, so clearly took a whack because he was like running quite gingerly for a while afterwards. But, you know, saw the game out. And, uh, yeah, very, very important footballer. And I think the fact that we're now getting to that period now where I think there's only the, the Newcastle midweek game, then we have, you know, literally weeks between matches, obviously because of the FA Cup, even, you know, so bigger gaps than we'd like. Uh, so, you know, that freshness uh, is going to be, you know, sort of retained. So as long as he stays injury free, yeah, he's got every chance of finishing top scorer this season. I think the other thing that people forget is that he's 22. Yeah. You know, he's played this. This he's played two full seasons in the, in the Premier League and under quite, you know, odd circumstances. Of you know, he, he burst onto the scene with Watford, then Silva got sacked, then he didn't score, then Everton paid this wild amount for him. Um, you know, and, and then he done well again and kind of silenced those critics. But I think you know, he almost seemed like a player that you know from from the outside kind of media who he wanted to fail just because you know Everton had, had paid such a such a big fee for such a you know for a foreign talent kind of thing when people probably thought that we, we could have went looked elsewhere. But at the end of the day, you know, th- there are still rough edges to his game that, that need ironing out. But what 22-year-old doesn't, you know, unless you're, unless you're a player of kind of like Kylian Mbappé quality or, you know, like what Messi or Ronaldo were when they were first coming through. You know, you, th- th- this is a high, high-end player, you know, that I think would still get into any other Premier League team at the moment, bar... Probably Manchester City and Liverpool, so you know that 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 tells you in itself what a, what a player he is. Um, he's, I, he's playing for Brazil. He's playing. Uh, I, I know we, we sometimes Brazil, give, give Brazil a little bit, you know, so more respect than they deserve because of the you know their history. But you know, Brazil is still a top you know sort of world nation, yeah. and he's playing for their first team, you know, quite regularly. And he's he's not you know he's by no means fluent in in his English quite yet, but you know he is he is seemingly working hard on that and, and trying to get better and. You know that that'll probably help once he once he gets into that. But he seems to be a character that fits into the dressing room. You know, I, I like that he's kind of, you know, he, he certainly on the pitch he's got a kind of spiky attitude, hasn't he? You know, he's not he's not scared of no one. He's not afraid to to yeah. get stuck in. He, he's he's not a player that you say you could ever say. Well, Richardson didn't track back there. You know, you see him sometimes, almost probably sometimes to his own detriment. But he's putting tackles in on the edge of his own box and running mm-hmm. back and defending his own halfway line, which is. You know, something that Everton fans can always get behind. And, you know, I do think there was a point this season where it was almost frustrating, really, to see how underappreciated he was. But, you know, he, I think, he, as you're saying, Preno, he is definitely Everton's most important outfield player. And I think he, he'll be a player that, you know, probably in the summer when Carlo Ancelotti and Marcel Brand sit down, you know, that I don't think there'll be many faces on that table that Carlo will be saying, OK, 100% won him here next season. But, You'll certainly yeah. want them. We actually heard an airing of the, uh, the the chance at the weekend as well. You know, he only cost fifty million. Yeah, I've not heard it for a while. And you know, he has had a little dip, I suppose. You know, over the Christmas period when those you know games were coming thick and fast, and he was playing virtually every minute of every one of them. Uh, but it was good to hear it at the weekend because he deserved you know that acknowledgement because his performance was so good. Um, you know, top, topped by the goal, but he could have had another one as well. Second half, where mm-hmm. uh, you know, great run, you know, so loads of pace, loads of strength. You know, ultimately, it was just a great challenge in the end, that, yeah. you know, so that prevented him getting the second goal. So, uh, now fair play, just you know, a really, really important player. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. I think what's interesting to me is that both of you refer to him as a striker there, he's yeah. been playing centrally. For the last month, but I think you know, even since he first came to Everton, it, there's been a lot of debate over you know what his best position is. Are we finally seeing now why he's always thought of himself as a central striker? 
I think so, yeah. Um, you know, it was quite a good decision to actually play him off the uh, striker from Duncan, uh, Duncan Ferguson took. Um, he's been all over the place, hasn't he? Left off the left, off the right. Um, you know, so playing very, very well in those positions. But he just looks like more of a threat, more of a goal threat, you know, so playing where he is. And it gives him that little bit more freedom. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not absolving himself of any defensive, um, you know, so discipline because he is tracking back. Uh, but he's just... He's getting into the box a lot more. And as we've seen, he's a very, very good finisher. So, yeah, I think that probably is his best position. And, you know, Carlo Ancelotti does like a 4 4 2 or a 4 4 1 1, whatever it is, like, you know, so we're using at the moment. And so, yeah, I think, you know, so a prolonged period in that position uh, is good for him. Whether it's good for the rest of the team then remains to be seen because, you know, there's the old Gilfie Sigurdsson question, which we've asked so many times. He's a number 10 and he's currently playing central midfield. And I thought he was OK on Saturday. I thought he had mm. a better performance. Improved. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, obviously he had to improve on what he produced right. at Anfield. Yeah, it couldn't, couldn't um, really be much worse. Yeah. But, you know, I thought he was good. But whether he will ever be a proper central midfielder, I, I doubt very much. Uh, so, you know, whether we'll bring in players in that position, whether, you know, so Gomez and Gabamin, you know, so... Obviously, it's a long time before we see Gomez play again, but Gabamin maybe that that will give Carlo Ancelotti a question then, you know, to answer. I think I think the thing for for Richarlison as well is that Everton a four four two for Everton and for Ancelotti probably isn't the 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 Mike Bassett kind of Sir Alf Ramsey style. Hmm. Not to compare them to four four two, you know, that you think of is it? You know, it's 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 always going to be quite a a, a fluid four four two, and I think maybe Richarlison I think quite suits being. The, the second striker in that, if, if Calvert-Lewin is your traditional centre-forward for Richarlison to be able to kind of go where he wants, really, you know. He can drop in behind, he can partner him, he can go left, he can go right, he can get in between the lines. And I think that's probably what, what, he, what he'd be kind of best at doing because then you, you do know that he won't be a kind of second striker then that will just stand hand and hips on the on the halfway line. Uh, and he'll, he'll work back for the team and, and keep that shape then defensively. But on, on Sigurdsson... Not not too sure. Not too sure if he if he's burned too many bridges now with with some performances. I, I don't even know if it's an attitude thing or a, maybe lost a yard of pace in the last year no, or so. Attitude's top class always. I think he always does. You know, sort of put a shift in. Yeah, but it's just he hasn't played well this season. You know, he's just maybe maybe that maybe that's rough. Maybe that is the the crux of the thing, isn't it? I just sometimes with him and Schneiderlin, I just don't know if I look at them and and think. He is up for it. He's up for the. He's up for the scrap. Uh, yeah, kind of I, I certainly wouldn't put them both in the same bracket. Uh, I think they're very different characters at play there. I mm. uh, don't want to get too critical of Morgan Schneiderlin, but you know, I think Gilfie Sigurdsson's a different animal altogether. Do you maybe think that Gilfie Sigurdsson is the one who's missing Idrissa Gana Gay more than anyone oh, else? Totally, yeah. Possibly, and, and 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 that that could be something for that we haven't really kind of considered, isn't it? The, you know, not just the the addresses effect on the team, but but on other players in particular. You know, you probably did know if you were Sigurdsson last season in that four two three one, you know, Garner's got your back kind of thing to, mm. to go and win, win the ball back and, and have that little bit more freedom. Um, but yeah, as, as Prano says, you know, sometimes, you know, you are quick to, to, we are quick to point fingers at people, you know, especially when we're not winning and we're losing important games. And, and maybe it is just deep down that Sigurdsson just, just hasn't played well. This season, the only problem for Gilfie is that it's all kind of coming together in a in a perfect storm. If he's not playing well, does he have a position in the four four two? Probably not. At the end of this season, he's only got one year left on his contract or two years left on his contract. You know, a high a high money, a high wage player who we bought for a lot of money. Do we try and kind of cut our losses with him at the end of the season? I'd, I'd probably think that if the right offer came in, then 
it would probably, probably have to be that way. It'd be interesting to see if that was the case, what kind of clubs would come in for him, though, because going to take a huge loss. Yeah. Uh, undoubtedly, is he 30 now? Is he up? 29, 30? He's around that age. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be no sell-on value for whoever takes him. His quality, you know, so I, I like his quality. You know, his, his dead balls were as good as ever at the weekend. Um, um, his, his, his passing was better, his work was decent. There was, you know, a couple of moments there he put in decent, you know, tackles, which you don't normally expect from him. Um, you know, so one of which... Did it create a, a good chance? Is it the disallowed goal? It actually slide tackle on the far mm-hmm. side that he won that I think you know ultimately resulted in the goal that was disallowed. Um, so you know he played an important part in the game, but we're not seeing the best of him uh, as a number six or number eight, whatever it is he's playing at the moment. Uh, but that's the way Carlo Ancelotti wants to play. So you know you're not going to build a team around him. It's just so frustrating, isn't it? I think if he does come to if, if his event career did come to a close in this summer, you know some of the goals he scored, are some of the best Everton goals in probably in modern modern times and, and sometimes you forget about them don't you I mean that one the at Leicester, Leicester always stands out but then yeah. you know even this season you know he made that one against West Ham look easy he made that one against Liverpool look easy mm. you know I think there was one against Man United last season Man United yeah. Swansea when he killed it in yeah, yeah. you know important, penalty. yeah important goal there nearly cost me my first goal scored a best <laughs> and then come up with one straight afterwards so you know <laughs> he, he obviously is, is, is a man who, who has so much quality but we just probably haven't seen it quite as as much as we would like it, and it will be really interesting to see, you know, if Jabaman comes back and kind of gets into the, the swing of the Premier League, if Gomez comes back and plays to, to the level that we saw at times last season, and maybe we sign another midfielder or Fabian Delph, you know, kind of gets into it a little bit more, then it would be interesting to see where his position in the team is. I think it would be quite remiss of us to not talk about Bernard as well, yeah. after his performance at the weekend. What do you make of it, Prana? He was excellent. Um, Again, a player I like a lot. Um, he, he brings that little bit of creativity that you know we're not massively blessed with in the squad. Makes things happen uh, just with his quick feet, with his brain, with his ability to you know sort of pick a pass and beat a player as well, which uh, you know sort of not many players can do. Um, and bizarrely, I thought that the game changed a little bit at the weekend when he came off. And uh, I know uh, Carlo's substitutions caused a bit of debate, you know, so sort of certainly on social media because. To me, at the time, I was a little bit surprised, you know, by the players that were replaced every single time. I'm thinking, well, why has he done that? And, you know, why has he done that? Um, I mean, Bernard came off at a time when he was playing really well and influencing the game. But I accept that, you know, he was probably tiring and, you know, you don't want to run the risk of him picking up another injury by, you know, sort of overplaying him. So, OK, I sort of get that. But then there seemed to be like a little reshuffle that was employed every single time. He made a switch uh, when Coleman came on, you know, so... You know, we had to, you know, to push Sidibe further forward, and then Yerry Mina came on. And I'm thinking, okay, well, Glenn Murray's just come on. You know, he's obviously trying to you know, combat that height that he's got in the area. But it, again, it enforced like another reshuffle with you know, so players moving across the back four, which worries you a little bit. But equally, even though that seemed to invite Brighton onto us, and they had like a ten or fifteen minute spell where they were never like overly threatening, but they had moments. Um, we got the results, so you can't really criticise a manager's changes if the end result is the correct one. And he did, and you know he seemed quite relaxed and so quite you know laid back about it afterwards. You know, so everything he did uh, seems it seemed to work. So yeah, okay, you know, so probably I'm wrong for questioning his decisions, <laughs> but it just it, it made me think. I was puzzled. I just couldn't quite work out why he was doing it. But to get back to the initial question, yeah, Bernard influenced the game significantly, and if we can keep him fit and we can keep him playing. Um, Grace, you know, so he's a, a big bonus for us. Mm. Well, keeping, him fit, 
keeping them fits one thing though, but his consistency is under question. I'd say mm-hmm. like his goals and assists numbers aren't exactly fantastic, are they? No, and that's the thing, isn't it? I think he's admitted it himself, but that obviously needs to improve if he wants to be a regular for Everton in the Premier League. You know, it was exciting, wasn't it? His first few weeks, of first few weeks after we signed him, he made a few cameos, and I think he set up that Richarlison goal against Leicester, and it, it kind of fa- felt like we'd found a real kind of Brazilian magician to to play on our yeah. wing, but it hasn't always kind of worked out like that. I don't think he's, he's even one that you can always kind of... I, I, I don't think I've ever seen him have an absolute shocker by any means. You know, he's, he's never a player where I'd be like... I've, you, you see many people even saying, you know, Bernard was woeful there. He is just sometimes a little bit meh, isn't he? A little bit kind of didn't didn't really affect the game in any way, you know. And obviously a, a player of his stature, you know, it is probably hard in every game to, to kind of take the game to the team. But I think, you know, this weekend is the perfect example, you know. If he can do it like that, you know he's got to be doing it eight nine weeks out of ten if he if he wants to to be a part of this team and I'm, and I'm sure he does he does want to be a part of this team with a manager like Carlo Ancelotti. And that, that West Ham last season was probably one of his best performances, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Where you know he scored the goal and made things happen. You know, so players sometimes do react to certain arenas. They just seem to feel more comfortable in certain places and feel better at them. Hopefully, you know, so whatever it's called, the London Stadium, you know, will be a will be one of those, and we'll we'll see him turn it on again at the weekends. He's kind of got he's kind of got qualities that nobody else in the Everton squad really has. Does he? Doesn't he like that sort of close control, quick feet? Wouldn't say he's exactly rapid down the wing, but his partnership with Luca Dean was on yeah. full display again at the weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, he's got a brain, you know, so he, he sees things that other players don't and, you know, he does chisel out, you know, so openings, unexpected openings. It's so difficult now in the Premier League, you know, so to carve out openings. We wouldn't think so watching Man City play yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, but generally, you know, it is difficult uh, to, you know, so to create goals and that's why players like Richarlison, players like Bernard, you know, so no coincidence that they're both Brazilian internationals, um, are very, very important to Everton because they can do that. They can make things happen. Otherwise, you're just relying on the quality of delivery from the flanks and to create openings. And uh, Sadibi is great at that. You know, so his delivery from the flanks is very, very good. Lucas Dean's been a little bit up and down this season. Uh, generally, it was very, very good. And he had that great, you know, sort of record, didn't he, of like some more chances created than any, you know, sort of fullback in Europe apart from the other one across the park. Um, but we haven't seen it quite as much over the last the last couple of months. Uh, he has had injury issues, of course, himself. You know, he's not being 100% fit. But you're relying on them, you know, so... so if you've got players like Richarlison and Bernard at it, it takes the pressure off them a little bit, you know, so you're creating up openings then all over the pitch rather than just from one particular outlet. And uh, so, yeah, very, very important to us. And, you know, so long may you continue. Mm-hmm. That's not wood, is it? No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> uh, but I think that's all we've got time for. Uh, thank you, lads, for joining me. Uh, we'll be back later in the week, uh, not only to preview Everton's game against West Ham, but to review... Everton's general meeting, which is taking place, you know, as of recording tomorrow, uh, Tuesday evening. Me and Phil will be down at that, providing live updates, which you can follow on liverpoolecho.com, uh, .co.uk, sorry. <laughs> uh, you can rate and review us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, or Acast, all your uh, podcast uh, providers. And don't forget, you can join our Facebook group as well, Royal Blue Podcasts on Facebook. Uh, to join in the discussion for yourselves. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.